In Viking times, a thing was a gathering, a place where leaders and warriors could meet and talk. In the 21st century, our thing is a virtual place where history academics and enthusiasts from around the world can come together to share knowledge. We're your hosts, Miranda Schmiederer and Lucas Norton. So hold on to your helmets for this episode of that Jorvik Viking Thing podcast. Lucas, this episode is coming out on the 30th of September, and tomorrow, the 1st of October, is actually the 50th anniversary of the founding of the York Archaeological Trust. Happy birthday. (laughs) As you might know, but our listeners might not know, the York Archaeological Trust is kind of the big overarching company that owns and operates the Jorvik Group, the Jorvik Viking Center, and as the name kind of implies, they do a bit of archaeology, I think, don't they? Just a bit, yeah. (laughs) Um, So to celebrate the 50th anniversary, it's kind of a big milestone. I thought today would be a good opportunity for us to go into the the history and the founding and and just kind of a bit about the York Archaeological Trust, if that sounds all right to you. Yeah, that sounds great. So I guess a good kind of place to start off with is the start. Can you tell us the beginnings of the York Archaeological Trust? Yeah, so if we go back in time, not as far as the Viking Age, but to the post-war period in Britain... There was a lot of redevelopments happening in British towns and cities, and this did not always see excavations and recordings taking place, Uh, whereas on continental Europe, there were a lot of excavations taking place during redevelopment, showing actually this could be quite valuable to see what on earth is underneath these new buildings that we're constructing. So in 1969, The Council for British Archaeology set up the Urban Research Committee, which identified towns and cities in Britain which had archaeological potential, going through them period by period and evaluating threats posed to them by modern developments, by building projects. Was York on that list by any chance? I think it might be. York is is a rather old city, (laughs) yes. Um, So by 1970, um, the UK was very aware of lots and lots of threats to Britain's archaeological heritage from all these building projects. And in the 1970s, there were lots of things planned for York, which would have basically threatened catastrophic destruction of York's buried archaeological heritage. Of course, beneath our feet, we have buildings going back to the first century in some parts of town. All sorts of things were going to be built in the city. Not all of these did go ahead, thankfully, (laughs) because York would have been an eyesore, judging by all this. Uh, They were going to build an inner city ring road going around the city walls. There was going to be an outer a ring road as well. Five multi-storey car parks were proposed for the city, and rebuilding of four key inner city zones as well. So this demanded a really comprehensive campaign of excavations, which meant that in 1971, the Yorkshire Philosophical Society and the Council for British Archaeology set up a joint working party, and this formed itself into a new charity in 1972, the York Archaeological Trust founded as an independent charity to carry out these excavations. So you mentioned that kind of inner ring road around the city, which I'm kind of pleased to say is not really there, but only a few months after its founding, York Archaeological Trust was already excavating on the line of this proposed inner ring road. And by the end of the year, I mean, we were kind of an established company. We had hired permanent staff, we started to raise money, and we even kind of published a new interim of kind of everything the York Archaeological Trust was doing. 
the York Archaeological Trust promised a vastly enhanced understanding of the history of the city, greatly enriched archaeological collections for museums, as well as educational, recreational, and tourism benefits. I mean, even 50 years ago, that sounds quite in line with the kind of thing that we're doing today, really, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. Just we've got more Vikings that arrive now. (laughs) As you kind of mentioned, access to building sites in the 1970s was not mandatory for the building and construction companies, so we kind of had to persuade our way onto these construction sites. A hearts and mind campaign was needed to persuade city authorities of the value and importance of archaeology and to persuade developers of the wisdom and public duty to allow access to their sites prior to development and to persuade the public that archaeology was an exciting and important opportunity to discover York's history, their history, really. There was a time when archaeology wasn't cool. What? (laughs) I know. They must not have watched Indiana Jones. Yat's charitable remit was and still is to educate the public on archaeology. So from the start, arrangements were made to allow public access to the city center excavations, the first step in educating the public about archaeology. I mean, this kind of is reminiscent of something that we have talked about a little bit before, um, which is the Coppergate dig. Yeah. The earliest excavations produced important discoveries, which became subjects of press and TV reports, establishing a strong media presence for the Archaeological Trust, which we do kind of maintain today. I think you've got a favorite example of this, though, haven't you? Yeah, I was looking at some old archive footage not too long ago, and uh, Blue Peter presenters would visit the archaeological sites on multiple occasions. For international listeners, Blue Peter is a kids' TV show made by the BBC. On one occasion, a Blue Peter presenter uh, uh, crawled through what was described as an excrement-rich Roman sewer. (laughs) (laughs) But on another occasion, there's an incident where a Blue Peter presenter climbed into the Lloyd's Bank excavation, I believe. That's where the big uh, fossilised poo was found. And I was quite shocked to see they start trying on items of Viking (laughs) jewellery. They're kind of just sitting there for her to look at, right? And she just starts popping them on her hands. And she starts combing her hair with an antler comb. uh, We're not even allowed to touch those. So I was a little bit flabbergasted by that. Celebrities, (laughs) eh? So 50 years later, York Archaeological Trust has completed thousands of archaeological excavations in and around York as well as elsewhere in Britain. Uh, It now has a substantial staff ranging across archaeological units and the visitor attractions, forming a skilled and balanced team which provides one of the best archaeological services in the country, as well as some of the best museums, in my opinion, as well. Um, Scientific results of the Trust's work have also been recorded in scholarly publications. We have our fascicule books, as well as the interim that was previously published, and our lovely podcast where we share the archaeological knowledge that Yats has gained. And there's a huge archive of records of discoveries, written accounts, photos, drawings, samples, and the Trust looks over hundreds of thousands of objects. I'm not sure if there is a (laughs) precise figure, because more keep coming out the ground every day, it seems, from all the various excavations that happen. There's a very big warehouse, like the one on the end of Indiana Jones, full of all the treasures. <laughs> it's a bit like that, isn't it? <laughs> and all of this has added immeasurably to York's history, enabling whole new chapters of the city's stories to be written for the first time. And I mean, nowadays, York, of course, is England's Viking city yeah. before the Trust. 
I think no one cared about Vikings. No, well, like we have visitors, especially older visitors, coming into Yorvik all the time saying, when I was a kid, York was the Roman city. And that's just kind of very difficult to believe, really, because it's so heavily associated with Vikings now. Yeah. Um, in no small part to the efforts of the York Archaeological Trust, really. Yeah, it's weird to imagine a time when Vikings weren't cool. <laughs> Um, so, as you kind of mentioned, I mean, prior to the Coppergate excavation, there was no real evidence from England on what a commercial center of a 9th to 11th century town would have looked like. So, Magnus Magnuson, a, a name that might be familiar to people in the UK, um, agreed to chair a special development campaign whose patrons included Prince Charles, now King Charles, Queen Margaretha of Denmark, um, both archaeological graduates from Cambridge, actually, as it happens, the King of Sweden, the Crown Prince of Norway, and the President of Iceland. They um, kind of got together to help us form the earliest kind of iteration of the Orvik Viking center where conserved timbers were reassembled and put on display and there was kind of a little ride scooting around them right so it, it is very similar to what we do today a retro 1970s ride it looks <laughs> pretty pretty cool the old pictures i've seen of it <laughs> Vikings appeared on the national curriculum in the same year that the Orvik Viking Center was opened, and this specified the Orvik Viking Center as the one kind of truly relevant place to visit as part of the curriculum to learn about Vikings. We're kind of famous for our cues around uh, the Coppergate Center where we're located, and I mean, this started in the very early years of the opening of the Orvik Viking Center. The number of public visitors who wanted to enter kind of made it difficult for us to maintain and fulfill our educational role properly. So in 1990, ARC, or the Archaeological Resource Center, was opened to teach children about the archaeological process. This later in 2006 became DIG, which is one of our four amazing museums, and it still sees tens of thousands of children visiting annually. YAT, as a whole, has stimulated heritage-based tourism in York. Tourist numbers in 1970 were around a million people, and in 2014, this was around 7 million people. So there's been substantial growth there, really. Mm. And since the Yorvik Viking Center's opening, we've had just shy of 60,000 school visits, and each year we see nearly 60,000 school children coming to our attractions, events, and activities, extending our impact to the next generation of people. We also provide in-school learning through face-to-face -face and virtual outreach sessions. And of course, over these 50 years, archaeological techniques have advanced, and York Archaeological Trust has forged new methods of digging and recording. It was amongst the first to use computer-based recording in archaeology. <laughs> Sounds so old-fashioned, yeah. doesn't it? It's just such a part of what we do now, but I mean, I guess it was, you know, state-of-the-art once upon a time. Yeah, I've, I've seen a um, an article published by the Trust from the 90s bragging about how we now use personal computers <laughs> and the internet using our telephone connections to share data. We're at the cutting edge of science, and we still are. <laughs> Yat also developed environmental archaeology as well. This is recovering information about environmental conditions in the past, from stuff like insects and plant remains, preserved in York squidgy, wet, anaerobic soil, and developed facilities for the conserving of objects from waterlogged conditions. Uh, Yat is now one of Britain's best-known general conservation labs, conserving waterlogged archaeological wood from across the UK. And Yat has also developed an expertise in investigating and recording ancient buildings too. And by the 90s, the Trust had become one of the most successful commercially available archaeological services, responding to changes in the national approaches to archaeology. 
So, I mean, the York Archaeological Trust is really known for its Coppergate dig, but that's not the only significant dig, really, is it, that we've done? True. (laughs) Yeah. So can you tell us some of the maybe digs that they might have heard about or, or the ones that they should investigate maybe a little bit more? Yeah, so as mentioned earlier, there have been thousands of digs that the Trust has carried out, but there are some very high-profile ones that have popped up in the news over the years. A very, very big one that happened not too long ago was the Hungate excavation. So Hungate is literally just over the road from Dig. When you see a photo of the Dig from old news articles, you can see the Dig Museum just in the background (laughs) of it. Um, I think this was the biggest excavation that's ever been carried out in York so far. It's bigger than the Coppergate Dig. Uh, took place over five years and there was loads of stuff found on it so much I don't think it's all been published quite yet either Uh, very deeply stratified complex archaeology stuff going all the way back to York's earliest years coming up in layers all the way through to 20th century stuff we had a nice exhibition here a little while ago on it didn't we we did yeah um, stuff like there were Roman skeletons found there mm-hmm. and I think Victorian toilets as All well. sorts of things, yeah. yeah. Very interesting stuff. Wonderful stuff for every period of York's history. And this dig also was a pretty exemplary project because the Trust was able to deliver community outreach, education and public benefits whilst carrying out the dig. There were open days, talks, training courses, school visits, exhibitions, online resources and a huge legacy of archaeological research, skills, and public involvement too. Have there been any digs where we found any kind of weird stuff? Yeah, we've occasionally touched on some of the weirder things that have been found over the years, particularly in our kind of uh, gruesome Halloween stuff. We did, we did a Halloween episode with some fun stuff last year. Stuff like the Heslington brain. Yeah, uh, the Britain's oldest brain. I mean, it it looked like a brain. It still looks like a brain. Um, I heard it's in a fridge in one of our uh, finds um, (laughs) warehouses somewhere. Um, But I mean, so if you want to hear more about the Heslington brain, we've got a whole episode on that from October. Look up pictures of it online as well. It looks (laughs) gross. Um, I quite like, I, I find quite interesting an excavation that took place, uh, a place called Driffield Terrace. Uh, this took place about 2004, 2005, and there were Roman burials found there. Uh, so this is just outside of what was the Roman city. And this was a very, very strange cemetery because it was full of male skeletons, which uh, had very interesting trauma on their bodies, shall we say. Yeah. Many were decapitated, and it was theorised that this could be a cemetery of Roman gladiators, which is pretty cool. I think you're bearing the lead on some of this, though, because didn't one of them have, like, tiger marks or something? Something like Like, like teeth that. marks on its pelvis? Yeah. So, the- I mean, they were fighting some some scary things that we, I mean, kind of associate, really, with, like, gladiators and, and a coliseum and all sorts, you know? Yeah, so there was a special research project, I believe, on that. The Trust carried out with Teesside University, and they were trying to work out what on earth is this mark? Is it a bear? Is it a tiger? Is it a lion? So there have been some very quirky things that have been found over the years. It's not There's more to, to the trust than the Coppergate dig. There definitely is. And if you want to hear more about the gladiators as well, that's in another um, Halloween episode from last year as well. But I mean, as you mentioned, we still have digs ongoing, um, projects that are happening all the time. Last year, um, around about this time, we did an update with some of our archaeological departments, um, and we've done the same again this year, haven't we? Yeah. 
So we are, um, you're now going to hear from two of our departments. One is our community department and the other one is our conservation department to hear a little bit about the coolest stuff that they've done this year. Here you go. My name's Ian Milstead. I'm the head of community engagement. What is the best thing that you have worked on this year? This has been a terrific year for our department because it's been the first year for our department. We are brand new and we have been running a couple of very exciting projects um, in York at our Willow House site, uh, which have been really, really successful. So, so I started in this post in April and I um, inherited a few people from the previous community engagement team, uh, particularly Katrina Gargett, um, and then brought across a few people from the field team in York, uh, particularly Aaron Johnson, um, Aisha Purcell, and Alice Hall-Thomas. And we've also had the chance to work with some fantastic people from the front of house team at DIG, so Sarah Strong, uh, Max O'Keefe, Kate Evans, and Sharon Truman. Um, so uh, we've had a really good summer. It's been the first full season of our Archaeology on Prescription project, which is our social prescribing initiative um, that was piloted last autumn. And then in April this year, we set sail on the first full program. So we've had three blocks of AOP, as we call it this year, um, imaginatively titled the Spring, Summer and Autumn Blocks. You can guess what time of year they took place. Um, so they've run uh, for nine weeks, well, nine, nine, and then six weeks with a, with a week off in the middle. I say off in inverted commas. Um, and in that period, we have built on what we did last year. So the project uh, takes participants from a range of different places, uh, primarily from the NHS through social prescribing link workers, um, and we take people who are being treated for mental health needs, um, particularly depression and anxiety, but other um, other conditions as well. Um, and we aim to provide them with a friendly, social, positive experience um, through archaeology. And the site at Willow House, which is at Warmgate, just behind Warmgate Bar, is a former residential care home with a nice garden, uh, which we've uh, filled full of holes <laughs> uh, and the council has very uh, graciously let us occupy this space it's a fantastic place to do this project because the access is really good um, the archaeology is quite straightforward um, and it's a very engaging and accessible way for people to take part um, so uh, the real success this year is mainly just pulling it off um, we've had um, between 40 and 60 participants on this program uh, in this year. As well as the NHS, we've had people coming from various local charities, including Changing Lives, which is drug and alcohol rehabilitation, uh, SASH, which tackles youth homelessness, um, Blueberry Academy and The Hut, which provide educational support for young people with learning difficulties, um, and Converge, who are a charity based at University of St. John, who um, help people access higher education resources uh, to support their mental health needs. Um, and the cohort we get from there tends to be a little bit older. So we've had, we've had quite a wide range of people from different backgrounds, different ages, different needs. Um, and the, the, the big success really is that um, we've had such a terrifically positive amount of feedback from this. Um, we know it's, it's been very effective. We're working on 
tools to measure the effectiveness of that. But the feedback we've had both from the participants, most importantly, but also their link workers or people who, who, who live, them, live with them or work with them, uh, has been that the impact is, is significant and it's been very, very successful. Um, we're, we're really proud of it. We won an award this year. We won the Community Engagement Project of the Year at the National Museum and Heritage Awards. Um, the submission largely covered last year's pilot, but the award ceremony was in May, um, and uh, it was a terrific evening. We weren't expecting to win, um, and largely down to Katrina and Aaron and Christina for all the work they put in with Alice and Aisha and the others, and also Sarah Maltby, who did a huge amount of work with the initial fundraising and supporting the department. So really, really proud of that, and it's it's a great recognition actually of the work that the team have done and the positive impact that we're having. Also at Willow House, we have been running our training dig um, that is now called We Dig. Uh, so We Dig York for the York operation. And we've also been running in Nottingham as guess what? We Dig Nottingham. The York project um, has again been very successful. So this is a training program where we sell places on the course to receive high quality focused archaeological skills training, particularly field skills training. Uh, we've been fully booked all year. Um, again, we've had a lot of positive feedback. Um, we've managed to recruit a few people through the program to return as volunteers to help supervise new trainees, which has been very, very positive. Additionally, we've been able to pilot a scheme on our training dig where um, we take participants from the archaeology on prescription side and if they show an interest and want to take their archaeological skills further, then we have bursa- we have a funding to provide bursaries for them to then take part in the bespoke training that we offer. Um, and that's also been very successful. We've had a good uptake of that. We had to adjust our training program a little to make it a bit more flexible. Um, but it's been a really successful trial and we'll definitely roll that out again next year. And again, huge thanks to, to the team for uh, putting that together and delivering it. It's been, it's been a, real, uh, a real plus this year. So we're nearly at the end of our season. Um, we finish at the end of September. Um, we're going to be launching uh, a winter program this year that will be a combination of um, participation in the post-excavation process for the excavation, but also we're working again with front of house colleagues to explore some heritage craft activities, including pottery, um, nail binding, uh, and various other things uh, with AOP participants. Um, and then from there, we'll run a series of co-created workshops to hopefully lead towards a contribution to next year's Viking Festival, which will be very exciting. And then we'll draw breath. And then come March, we'll have our next round of tasters. And come April, we'll be back out at Willow House and we'll start all over again. Hi, I'm Ian Panther, Head of Conservation for York Archaeology. What's the best thing you worked on this year? I think one of the most exciting things that the team's been working on this year are the finds from the wreck of the Gloucester. This is a, an English warship that, that sank off uh, lowest off, off the Norfolk coast in the, uh, the mid-17th um, century. The ship was carrying the then um, Duke of York, who became James II of England and, and Scotland. And um, we've had a number of finds from the project, quite exciting finds, including a lot of sort of wine bottles full wine bottles um, although we haven't sampled any of the the wine yet 
quite a few sort of leather items, leather shoes and, and bookcase, uh, book covers as well, small books, um, slightly sort of tooled decoration, uh, whether these were covering Bibles, we, we don't know. Um, one of the books we did recently, one of the leather covers we did um, about a year ago that actually had some some sort of very poorly preserved pages in it um, but we weren't able to decipher the text but that's that's quite uh, unique um, ships also have uh, textiles surviving as well uh, I think some of them may have been women's clothing uh, we know that the ship was actually heading up to Scotland to pick up the Duke of York's wife who was who was in Edinburgh at the time um, so he may have been taking some of her clothes as well um, a lot of um, clay um, tobacco pipes as well come from from the wreck, and some metal items as well. So quite a quite a wide range of of objects, sort of representing sort of high status and and sort of everyday use as well. So very interesting. These are all going through our sort of standard conservation treatment. We're having to uh, flush all the harmful salts out, a process we call desalination. Um, so things are sort of going through an intensive washing cycle, um, repeated sort of washing in, in, in pure water to, to flush all these salts out. Once everything's desalinated, we can then start to dry and consolidate and, and get everything ready for exhibition. Uh, the exhibition will open in February next year in the Norwich um, Castle Museum, so you can go and see all the artifacts there. If you liked this episode because of the archaeology, you would love to visit DIG, an archaeological adventure, where you can learn how to be an archaeologist and even take part in a replica DIG, including the DIG on Hungate. To visit, go to digyork.co.uk to buy your tickets now. Don't forget to rate and review that Jorvik Viking Thing podcast on your podcast app. And if you enjoyed the show, share us with a friend. It's the best way to help support your favourite history podcast. To contact us for more information or ideas for future episodes, you can email us on podcast at yorkat.co.uk. Thanks for listening to that Jorvik Viking Thing podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Transcripts and chapter markers are available on yorvikthing.buzzsprout.com. That Jorvik Viking Thing podcast is a production of the Jorvik Group and York Archaeology. Hosted by Miranda Schmiederer and Lucas Norton. Researched by Lucas Norton, Ashley Fisher, and Miranda Schmiederer. Produced by Ashley Fisher. Sound designed and edited by Miranda Schmiederer.